right, back on the Fan Morning Show, Jesse and Ailish, Sports Sportsnet 590, the fan. Blue Jays back in action looking to flush that one as manager John Schneider said last night. Move forward tonight, Max Scherzer and Hanjin Ryu on the mound. We've been talking about it as the biggest series for the Blue Jays thus far. And David Murphy, former MLB outfielder and current Rangers TV analyst, will join us now. Is that how the Rangers are viewing this series as the biggest of the season? Yeah, there's been a lot of talk about that, mm-hmm. um, you know, in DFW. Uh, you know, I think every game for a little while was was going to be <laughs> the most important game of the season because the, the Rangers hit such a tough skid at the worst time of year. Um, and, and everybody, you know, for so long, you know, it was the divi- the division that we were going for. And now, you know, even though the division is still there, um, while the, the wild card, it, you know, is in striking distance as well, I think they need to make sure to put themselves in a, in a good position there as well. And obviously with the Blue Jays right there ahead of them, uh, it's, it's nice when you can control your own destiny. So what happened with the Rangers? To, to put it like simply, you know, dropped 16 of their last 23 games since August 16th, you, you know, fell out of the wild card spot now, just half a game back from the Blue Jays. We were keeping eyes on the Rangers, but mostly scoreboard watching because it was uh, it was helping the Blue Jays who were going through a little bit of their own trials. Uh, if you're trying to, to figure out what was the Achilles heel, and we're using that word a lot today, sorry, Aaron Rodgers, um, where was that with the, with the Rangers and, and what could be the easy fix? Well, I think, um, you know, the bullpen has had its ups and downs this year, and I think that's why you saw them go get Araldis Chapman. Uh, You saw that when they made the trade for Jordan Montgomery, they also got Chris Stratton. So they've been doing whatever they can to bolster the bullpen. They've had guys come up and down from the minor leagues, and there was just, uh, you know, regardless of what point of the season they were in, there was definitely plenty of plenty of struggles, plenty of hiccups from the bullpen. Now, I think a lot of times, you know, that kind of went unnoticed because the offense was so strong for the first three or four months of the season. And there were so many points where they were just going through streaks and they were scoring 10 plus runs per game. So obviously, you know, when you're when you're winning blowout games, when you're winning by a, a wide margin, you're not playing those one and two run games. Um, then a lot of times, you know, any type of bullpen struggle goes unnoticed. But then, you know, you hit a little rough patch. It's late in the season. Obviously, everybody's, <laughs> I guess, p- panic is a word that you could use around here, just because, um, you know, when you're going five and fourteen, five and fifteen, whatever it was during a, a twenty game stretch. And you're basically in the driver's seat for the division all year long. And then all of a sudden, not only the division, but you're on the outside looking in of, of the playoff picture, uh, you know, back and forth there for a little bit. So, yeah, so the bullpen and then obviously the, the offense was so strong, uh, you know, like I said, for the first three or four months of the season. Then you have Josh Young go down with an injury. Uh, you have Jonah Heim, who was an all-star as well. Who, who went down for a little bit. He's back now. Um, he's kind of, you know, I don't know that he's going to be 100% the rest of the season. So there's a little bit of a grind there. Um, but as so many people have said, this is the absolute worst time of year to have this struggle. And while I somewhat agree, there's still around 20 games left in the season. And so the Rangers still have time. Uh, there's still plenty of baseball left to be played. So maybe it's not the absolute worst time if they can – you know, continue this three-game winning streak and kind of just uh, continue to play good baseball, um, that'll be huge. 
You mentioned some of the names that make up uh, the offense and the, the lineup for the Rangers. Um, is it as simple as as Marcus Simeon and Corey Seager go, so go the Rangers offense? Because you look at some of the numbers, they're first in every basically every major statistical category in the American League. So is it is it Simeon and Seager or is there more to it? I think there's more to it just because, you know, every opposing pitching staff, when the Rangers come into town or when they come to Arlington, they're going to say, usually, who do we not want to let us, you know, who's not going to beat us tonight? And Seager's going to be the main guy just because he has had a magical season and he is hitting everything, everybody. He's just been uh, such a special player. Marcus Simeon, you know, he's had maybe a few rough patches through the course of the season, but uh, he's hitting the ball well now. Um, you know, I, I think it'll help. I think if uh, if the Rangers, if the so Ezekiel Duran and Leody Tavares were so hot during you know the first few months of the season, out of the eight and the nine hole, and they were getting such good production at the bottom, and that's why Marcus Simeon, as a leadoff man. He's approaching 90 RBIs right now, um, and, and all of these guys have hit so well with runners in scoring position throughout the course of the season. So I, I don't think it's that simple. I think you have to have more of a balanced offensive approach, and I think that's why the loss of Young has been huge uh, because he, you know, they've hit him third at times against lefties. A lot of times, most of the season, he's been around fifth. Um, so I think his presence, if, if they can get him back at some point producing at the same level, and then obviously we saw the Jonah Heim Grand Slam last night, if we can get more production from, from the middle, it'll make it easier where they can't pitch around Simeon and Seeger at the top. There's one more name I want to get to. So Evan Carter, I, I think the, the Rangers had a decision to make and they decided to to bring up Evan Carter, who is the eighth ranked prospect in, in all of baseball, eight for 39 in AAA. And we saw a little bit of what he could do last night uh, hitting a home run. Do you think it was a move of maybe desperation on the Rangers behalf? Because there were different options uh, they had to make when Adelise Garcia went down, but they elected to bring up their best prospect who maybe gives them potentially a little bit more pop when the offense, as you said, had been struggling a little bit as of late. Yeah. Um, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I think that he was definitely the best option in terms of a call up. Um, a young guy like that, even though that, you know, he's talented to bring him up in a, in a, you know, when there's a race going on right now um, and, and he's sitting in the nine hole. I mean, it's not like you're going to expect a guy uh, in the nine hole to be an, an impact guy and to, you know, completely ignite the offense. But that was, that was big yesterday until, until the game got away from the blue Jays, his home run was uh, was a really big home run, but I, I like him. He's got a great swing. Um, you know, that was, that wasn't just uh, any any home run last night. That was that was a big boy yeah. home run. That was that was nice for the Rangers. But he's, it, even later in the game, you know, I was kind of I I wasn't on the broadcast last night, so I was kind of I had the game on. I was kind of in and out. Even his last at bat of the night, you know, it was a pitch in, and he he hit a nice line drive. He lined out to right field, but those are good hard outs right there. Um, so you never know. Weird things happen in baseball. You know, you you lose your main RBI man in Garcia for a little while, but he had been struggling as well. So maybe, you know, you bring a guy up like Carter, uh, that young energy, sometimes that can ignite the offense. 
Oh, we've certainly seen that with uh, some of the Buffalo Bisons that's, that have been called up over the last little while with the Blue Jays, David Schneider being mainly one of them. Now everyone's wearing mustaches at the ballpark. So sometimes it's nice to have something new and something fresh to cheer for. Um, I wonder for you, and I always ask our outside perspective of those that come into the city or come to play the Blue Jays or cover them, how they scout this Blue Jays team. What is it? that you look at uh, that are like the strengths for the Blue Jays. And if you're looking to capitalize on a team, where are the Blue Jays falling short? Because we, we you know, we get sucked into the same conversation sometimes at 162 games about the Blue Jays runners and scoring position and having the greatest bullpen and rotation in baseball. But what do you see about this Blue Jays team when you try to analyze uh, their season so far? I mean, I would say personally, I, I would say a team that is very capable but, you know, if you kind of look at the numbers, uh, a team that is underachieved, you look at what uh, Vladimir Guerrero, at least offensively, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., we know what he's capable of. So, you know, a guy that's hitting in the 260s with an OPS below 800, um, we know he's capable of more than that. So, you know, you've got to pitch carefully to him, but at the same time, um, you know, there, there's holes there. Uh, it's nice that they brought a guy like Brandon Belt over who can be uh, left-handed pop, you know, same with Dalton Varsho. I know that that trade hasn't quite worked out, um, at least for this season, the way that the Blue Jays had hoped. But, you know, I think Dalton Varsho, I, I like Dalton Varsho as a player. I think he's going to be good moving forward. Uh, you mentioned Schneider. I, I think he's a, a great player. He's awfully, awfully um, off to a great start. Um, Springer, another guy that falls in that category, capable of more. He has killed the Rangers over time. So, you know, I think it's it's the pitching, you know, the, the Blue Jays, and I think any team, you know, you're going to have to rely heavily on starting pitching down the stretch. Jordan Hicks was a huge pickup for y'all. Um, so I think between him and Romano, uh, if the Blue Jays have the lead late in the game, then then watch out because that's, uh, that's a great tandem at the back end. So I think just a – I think a team that you really have to respect, you, you have to look, you have to look beyond the numbers uh, because there, there's some scary guys in the lineup on the team altogether. Obviously uh, Bichette, you know, if he's not hurt, you know, the, uh, as much as he is this season, I think maybe the offense looks a little bit differently as well. Max Scherzer are going for the Rangers tonight. Hasn't beaten the Blue Jays since July the 3rd, 2013. Well, you know it's going to happen tonight. Sorry. Now yeah, that. yeah, that's, that's bad <laughs> on me. But, uh, David, last, last time out for Scherzer, it was a much hype uh, meeting between Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander, the former teammates going toe-to-toe. Um, some speculate on uh, their friendship or lack thereof over the years. But nonetheless, Scherzer got uh, lit up a little bit, seven earned runs against the Astros in a 12-3 to loss. Uh, but for the most part, I mean, he's been pretty decent since coming over from the Mets to the Rangers. What have you seen uh, from Max Scherzer in his starts with Texas, and what can the Blue Jays expect tonight? So up until his last start versus the Astros, what he's done a really good job of is keeping the ball in the ballpark. I want to say he gave up 23 home runs uh, in his time in New York. And through his first, I want to say, six or or seven starts with Texas, he had only given up two. So he was really keeping the ball in the ballpark. And that was largely due to, you know, better, a better feel for his slider. You know, if you look at the numbers, I I don't have them off the top of my head. Um, but the numbers against the slider, they, they were okay. 
uh, in his time in New York, uh, but they had really gotten back to normal since he had come over here to Texas. You know, I don't know if that's due to working with Mike Maddox again, as he had when he, they were both together in Washington, uh, but it's nice for him that there's a familiarity there. I will say this, you know, two starts ago, he had only given up one hit through the first uh, five innings or six innings uh, against the Minnesota Twins. And he comes out of the game after I think his pitch count was somewhere in the mid-80s. And then he came out after giving up seven runs and three innings against the Astros. So he has had some type of forearm issue going on. And I think that's what led to the results that you saw when, uh, when he pitched uh, against Houston. And he was just talking about not being able to get through the baseball. So, uh, you know, there was something you can tell in his interviews uh, and the way that Bruce Bochy talks, there's obviously something going on there. I have not been around lately to get an update on what's going on there. So I'm hoping, obviously, as a Texas fan, that he's 100% healthy because you know that a healthy Scherzer in a big game like this is probably going to be very productive and give the Rangers – um, what what they need, but uh, if he is pitching, you know, with the, with a little twinge in that forearm, and, and I will say this, he's he's he mentioned that he's pitched through shoulder things before. I think he's had an oblique. He's pitched through, you know, some back issues. But he was talking about how the forearm is a new thing that he's never pitched through before. Uh, so I think he's trying to grind it out and just figure out how he can uh, be productive for this team. We're chatting with David Murphy, uh, current Rangers TV analyst and former MLB outfielder. Now, you spent seven seasons with the Rangers, 10 MLB seasons, um, and you went to -to back-to-back World Series uh, in 2010 and 2011. Now, I mean, a lot of questions here about what does the Blue Jays, do they have the makeup to be a World Series team? That was one of their goals. They wanted to at least win the division but make it to the World Series, and it was a popular pick. A lot of people thought the Blue Jays could make it, but I wonder for you what it takes to be a World Series team. Is it the perfect mix of veteran voices and young talent coming up at the right time? Is it just having, you know, peaking at the right time? We saw the Phillies make it all the way to the World Series last year, and they were a team that not a lot of people had in that position, but you've been a part of a World Series team that has played a lot of baseball, a lot of playoff baseball. Uh, What do the Blue Jays or any team at this point need to find in their identity to make this season a lengthy one? Uh, I think the talent is there, no doubt. I think you mentioned peaking at the right time. Uh, anybody that gets into the postseason, day one of the postseason, it's a clean slate. Everybody's 0-0. We saw it last mm-hmm. year with the Phillies. They didn't have the greatest season. They caught fire at the right time. They, they were talented enough. Uh, the offense is definitely talented enough. I would see the, the pitching staff you know, for the Blue Jays, similar to maybe the the ones that I was on um, with Texas that got to the World Series, because you're talking about uh, Bassett, um, you know, Gossman's obviously up there at the top, uh, Barrios. Uh, those aren't necessarily, you know, household names uh, that you're going to, you know, bank on getting you to the postseason. We didn't, we didn't have those with Texas, you know, Colby Lewis, CJ Wilson. Uh, obviously we did bring in Cliff Lee one year, Derek Holland, Matt Harrison. Uh, but none of those guys were just, you know, Cy Young candidates besides Cliff Lee. Um, so I, I think it's, it's a matter of getting there, peaking at the right time, having enough talent. And then, you know, I always said, said in hindsight, you know, I never realized the role that chemistry played on a team until I was on all those talented teams. And um, I don't know what the chemistry is like in the Blue Jays clubhouse, but I I do think that they have enough. And that's why so many people pick them, 
you know, uh, to represent the American League in the World Series. So, you know, uh, that's why postseason baseball is so much fun. It's so hard to predict. You talk about chemistry, and I think when you need that or in order to establish that, you have to have a good leader in the clubhouse. And Bruce Bochy, in that respect, is certainly a legend of Major League Baseball. He's won three World Series championships with the San Francisco Giants, another pennant as manager of the San Diego Padres. Last night on the Blue Jays broadcast, uh, Dan Schulman and Buck Martinez were waxing poetic about just how much of a legend Bruce Bochy is in the game of baseball. Uh, What has he done in his first year uh, with the Rangers? Uh, How much has he impressed you with his performance so far? I think right out of the gate, the way that we saw the Rangers play, there was just, there was a different mindset. And I think um, a sense of calm, um, you know, and and it was easy early on just because nobody really expected the Rangers to do a lot, even after the signing of of Jacob deGrom and kind of a revamped pitching staff and a a year removed from signing Simeon and Seager. Um, But, you know, the, the last five or six years have been, uh, they've been tough uh, for Rangers fans. And so for him to step in, and I think, you know, it's not like there weren't little hiccups, little moments here and there where the, where the Rangers struggled. Uh, the, you know, late in April, things were going well, and the, and the bullpen uh, had a tough series in Cincinnati. And this was before everybody thought that the Reds were going to be a good team. You know, everybody thought they were going to be, you know, the, the most recent version of the Cincinnati Reds. And I think that's just one example. They got swept there. And then they just they bounced back immediately. I believe they swept the Yankees at home, and maybe, or maybe they lost the first game to Garrett Cole, and then continued. To, they go on a big winning streak after that. So I think that's just one example how um, a manager can have such a good impact on a team. There's there's no panic there. You know, he's just cool, calm, collected all the time. And uh, I, I think it's easier to, to bounce back from, from those tough moments. And hopefully that's what we're going to see right now after a rough stretch. The Rangers are really going to turn it on here the, the last few weeks of the season. David, a lot of fun talking to you. Really appreciate you taking the time this morning. Uh, enjoy the rest of the series and, and good luck the rest of the way. Yep. I enjoyed talking baseball and uh, good luck to the Blue Jays as well. May the best team win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Blue Jays need a big one tonight. Uh, can't have two down in a row because they uh looking for an opportunity to have the upper hand when it comes to the tie break, and you need to win three out of four against the Texas Rangers. And good thing is you have three left. So you got to win all three of them. Uh, Scherzer and Hanjin Ryu on the mound tonight. Uh, so it'll be a big one. And, of course, Looney Dog Tuesday. So get down there. Uh, we'll have that 7 p.m. on Sportsnet and Sportsnet 590, The Fan. <laughs> Something tells me it's going to be a little busier tonight. Number one, it's not the first day of school anymore. Number two, anytime you get Looney Dogs in the mix, dollar, dollar food these show days. People Yeah. I I might have to go myself. <laughs> I'm just saying. You basically make money. Yeah, by exactly going, right. You know, exactly like, right. <laughs> if you look at it in the big picture. Um, no, great, great perspective. I mean, this team did not look like the team that was struggling as of late, that lost eight, their 16 in the last 23, that we were thinking, no, we're going to be a pushover, but the Blue Jays could capitalize on a Texas Rangers team that had not been looking good. And they looked good last it, night. It so. feels like there's some parallels uh, between these teams, obviously not with the bullpens, because the Blue Jays' bullpen has been great this year, and the Rangers, uh, again, has been their Achilles heel. But uh, starting pitching, great for both teams, and it feels like they should both be better than they actually are. Like, that's the big takeaway. Like, the Rangers mm-hmm. have a really good lineup and really good pitching. And what's 
what's missing. And they were that good for the majority of the season, and they hit a really bad rough patch at a time when you cannot afford to have that magnitude of a rough patch. And same for the Jays. Okay, there's a reason there. so many people looked at this team and thought, you know, really frustrated by their mm-hmm. performance because they should be better than where they are. Yep. And they're, they're not even that bad. Like, 80 and 64 is not a bad record, but people expected them to be better. And I think Rangers fans did as well. You know what I'll say that's a little different about these teams? I, I get where you're going with the perspective of them. Is the, I feel like the Rangers have played their best baseball already. They were one of the best teams in the MLB for sure. a long time. Mm-hmm. The Blue Jays, I don't think, have played their best baseball or at least I'm hoping so, because if, they're play, they? if they play their best baseball now, that's when you want to do it. And that's what David was saying. You can peak at the right time. But for me, it's like the Rangers are searching for a version of themselves that was earlier in the season. The Blue Jays are searching for a version of themselves that I don't think we've seen yet. Yeah. So if you look at, you know, what motivates you more, are you chasing something you lost or are you chasing something you haven't had yet? I hope the Blue Jays find that at the right time. But both kind of living under their expectations right now. The Blue Jays, I, I, I hope, found a little momentum over this under 500 game stretch, but didn't show it last night, a 10-4 loss, uh, a couple little errors that led to free runs really for the Rangers, um, and then a Grand Slam is always hard to <laughs> compete Overcome. against. Yeah, yeah that's uh, tough. Hitting a Grand Slam would be bucket list. How cool is that? Like It's, it's up there in things you can achieve in a single game yeah hat trick grand slam you know multi-touchdown i mean knowing myself pretty cool knowing myself i would just not have a good record with the bases loaded i i don't have a great i don't have a great history of performing well under pressure in sports situations you're on the green with eagle of opportunity no i don't need a triple bogey i don't need a pressure situation to have the yips (laughs) i could be yipping my way to a uh quad or uh yeah yeah it's not it's not good but yeah i i I do agree, though, hitting a grand slam, like, good for Jonah Heim. That's that's probably a cross-off on the yeah, bucket list there. They're pretty good, Joey. The major league level, yeah. Um, all right, uh, let's do some chews. Uh, it's time for something to chew on, brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum, yum, yum. Talked a little NBA in terms of... <laughs> you haven't done time. a yum, yum, yum yet? Before you're mm, off... Yum, 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 yum. Ooh, that's gunners. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, that one gives me the heebie-jeebies. You haven't done one yet tomorrow okay. because you're only on the show for one yeah. more day. Sad. You yeah. have to do the yum, yum, yum tomorrow. Okay, Josh, you got this noted. Don't press it tomorrow. It's Jesse's yum, yum, yum. Yeah, and Anywho, my heart rate just spiked. You got pressure. it. Pressure okay. situation yeah. to say yum, yeah. yum, yum. Watch me uh, choke now, Josh. You know what wasn't even part of the read? Like, obviously, we have a script from Great Canadian Meats. It just became a yum, 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 and I think they've accepted it. So. They're okay with it? Oh, they never mentioned it to me, so it's part of it now. <laughs> Anywho, uh, we talked a little uh, football earlier, basketball earlier in the show with LeBron James uh, creating an Avengers team to come to the Paris Olympics, but um, a little bit more specific to the NBA season is the board of governors are expected to vote on a new policy that would prohibit teams from resting two star players in the same game. Now a star is defined as a player who has made an all-star or NBA team in the past three seasons. This is Prashams Terrani of the athletic and I love it. I hate load management. I hate the idea that fans shell out hundreds of dollars to go to a game and they don't see anybody of relevance because they just decided to not play that night. If you're injured, you're injured. If you just want to rest, go to a beach and stop playing professional sports. It just it bothers me a lot that this has become such an accepted practice in the NBA. We don't really see it in any other league, right? Like the NHL, imagine they're like, oh, we're going to load manage Matthews against... 
you know, Arizona for fun. It doesn't happen really anywhere else. The NBA gets away with a lot of stuff, like even like Lillard last night saying, I'm just not going to show up to camps. If they instilled this new policy, I think it would go well. And it's, what are you going to do? Two people are going to be playing rock, paper, scissors in the dressing room of who gets the load managed. <laughs> anyway, I like the idea of it. This has been an issue we've been trying to find work. solutions for. How? Why won't it work? There'll be just phantom injuries. That's right. Yeah, that's the only way around it. Is You're going to see like tendonitis and, you know. I bopped my knee. I have a contusion. Lower back spasms, that sort of thing. And also like the criteria doesn't make a lot of sense. Like they're defining a star, which is you can't see mm-hmm. your two stars, by someone who's made an all-star appearance or an all-NBA team mm-hmm. in the past three seasons. So there's not that many teams that that, effects like there are teams in the league that don't have any all-stars or any all nba players so i feel like this is selecting a it's like the clippers a few teams <laughs> well, yeah. and a few players that play on those teams like it's golden state uh minnesota and there aren't that many more teams that have you know multiple all-stars and multiple all nba hey, you know what the blue don't have to worry about it i mean the raptors don't have to worry about it definitely that's not. why they didn't want to be all-stars this definitely year not. but i will say like i don't want to take such a cynical view because i do think like something is better than nothing i'm in glad this they're case. trying something yeah that? because it, it is like really a a mark on the nba that you know people pay a lot of money for mm-hmm. these tickets and uh, spend a lot of time investing uh, in their time and watching these games and to not have the best of the best go and do what they do. Like it doesn't really make a lot of sense. And it's been very frustrating for us as fans of sports. So mm-hmm. uh, good for Adam Silver for trying to figure it out. And I would imagine over time, this is probably uh, going to take, it's going to get more strict if they continue to see. Well, there's financial implications yeah. to this. So if you were to miss uh, the first, I guess, the first time you don't abide by these guidelines is a $100,000 fine. Uh, or they tried to do this, sorry, in the, remember they tried to do this in 2020, didn't work out. So they tried to make it so, okay, you're gonna have to pay a little bit of money, but I mean, these places have a lot of money. (laughs) So I don't think that it's going to matter too much. I think a million dollars, these teams have so much money. Uh, the policy, if it is passed would have a hundred thousand dollar fine for the first violation. The second violation would be $250,000. And the third violation would be $1 million increasing for every violation from then. So that's a lot of money if you fail to abide by this. But yeah. there are certainly ways around it. Yeah, some of the language is, is like pretty intense. Like the, they're prohibited from resting healthy players for any high-profile nationally televised game, right? The, the must ensure star players are available for national television and in-season tournament games. It makes sense. Like, yeah. The, there's medical medical data that supports... Uh, that does not support the current practice of load management, uh, disagreed with the notion that too many players were sitting out games without injury. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think I think the, good for the NBA for trying to do something because it's ridiculous at this point. Okay, we're going to have Amy Lawrence join us after the break. Uh, we know her. If you are up before the Fan Morning Show, you hear her on CBS Sports Radio. She is the 2 to 6 a.m. Legend. Live stream with us. Honestly, legend. Uh, absolutely a legend. Um if you went to bed four snaps into the game, you might have missed that Aaron Rodgers most likely has a ruptured Achilles. Waiting for more information on that does not sound promising. Uh, just an awful turn of events. 
how the Jets will try to rebound from this is a big question mark. We have some solutions. Hashtag Rourke to New York. See what Amy has to say about that. That's next on the Fan Morning Show with Jesse and Ailish. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Morning Show, Jesse and Ailish, Sports at 590 fan. If you're a Bills fan, coming off a tough, a tough, tough showing. If you're a Jets fan, coming off a tough night as Weird well. Night. Weird is. night. They get the win, but they lose their franchise quarterback. So there you go. I think that there's more negatives than positives yeah. uh, if you're in New York covering the Jets this morning. Amy Lawrence, host of After Hours and CBS Sports Radio, who we listen to on our drive-ins every morning, joins us now. Amy, good to have you on the show again. How's it going? Good. Good morning, Jesse and Ailish. Nice to talk to you again, despite the occasion. Oh, my gosh, what a night, huh? What a night. I mean, it was it was stunning, really. It just kept getting more and more shocking. You see him getting off the field, and he's on the car, and he's in the tent. And then, basically, the understanding that Aaron Rodgers uh, has a ruptured Achilles. I mean, pretty awful news for New York Jets fans and for that franchise that have gone all in, really. Hard knocks and everything. This was a storyline about Aaron Rodgers. And, yep. I mean, do you start thinking about retirement even at this point? Mm, maybe. Uh, I spoke to Boomer Esiason this morning, who is a, obviously a former NFL MVP, and uh, he was talking about how the recovery is longer when you're an older athlete, of course, but he also mentioned that Achilles is always a danger with older athletes because there's less blood flow down to, you know, to that part of your body, down to your ankle and, and down through that area. And so I hadn't even thought about that. But, yeah, one of the first things that came to mind is, did we just see the end of Aaron Rodgers in the NFL? Because he will turn 40 next month, if I remember his birthday correctly. And that means that we're talking 12 months at the least, right? Uh, unless some supernatural healing occurs, which, you know, he may actually believe in with his ayahuasca <laughs> and stuff. But it's, it's not just Jets fans, though, that I think bemoan this. They may be over the top jumping off the bridge uh, upset this morning. But I really do think whether you love or hate Aaron Rodgers, the NFL is better with him. He's an interesting character. The NFL does a fantastic job of marketing its superstars. There really isn't anyone like him, right? Now, he loves to stir the pot, but he's also a damn good quarterback. And to not have him on the field after six months, you guys, six months of speculation, anticipation, the rumors, the reports, finally they consummate the deal with the Packers. I mean, we're talking about the gigantic smiles, the tour of New York. He is I mean, he's talking the town, and to have it end within four minutes and four snaps is unreal. I'm still incredulous, and I spent all night talking about it. Yeah, it's such an excellent point. Like, Ailish is a, is a Bills fan, so she's got all sorts of emotions today. Like, I don't really have an NFL team. I'm more of a, a fantasy and a, a gambling uh, a fan the NFL, of the sport. A fan of the sport. So, and I am down bad today because I feel yeah. like we've been robbed yeah. of something that uh, would have been pretty special to watch. And part of the reason I say that is because we saw how good the New York Jets defense is last mm. night and they made Josh Allen look silly. So when you think of what the potential could have been with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback and now they have Zach Wilson, which 
regardless of what you thought of Aaron Rodgers at 39, I think it's pretty safe to say that this is a downgrade. What do the Jets do? Do they? I know Salah said last night that Zach Wilson is going to be the guy, but there have to be other options to supplement the Jets if, in fact, Zach Wilson stumbles a little bit here. Well, they are going to need another quarterback. They're going to have to elevate Tim Boyle from the practice squad right away. I think the only two quarterbacks they had on active roster were Aaron and Zach. Now, the good news about the Jets is the formula that they can use still works in the NFL. Last year, we saw passing yards down, rushing yards up, which is why it's so crazy that running backs are not getting paid the way they want to, because even more last season, in a pass-happy league, it was offensive line. It was run games that were really powering teams. And Brees Hall looked fantastic last night. This is kind of a a story that's lost in the middle of everything, right? He's, what, seven months removed from a torn ACL? Maybe a little bit longer. I think it was game seven. Anyway, he's back, and he looks awesome. He breaks an 83-yard run. He goes over 100 yards. Uh, We know what Garrett Wilson can do if you just throw the ball up at him. He kind of reminds me of the versatility of an Odell Beckham Jr. when he first got into to the NFL. Of course, there's all kinds of dynamic wide receivers that can torque their bodies and make these crazy one-handed catches like Garrett did. So I really think the most important thing, they've got a solid offensive line. The O-line is fantastic. They also have a great run game, and they do have some receivers that can make plays if Zach doesn't turn the ball over, right? Like, that's the most important thing. And can he make the simple stuff? I was listening to Westwood One, and Kurt Warner was talking about how very often you get young quarterbacks who come into the league who, of course, they can chuck and duck. I mean, you don't you get to play at this level if you can't make a deep throw and a, you know, a dynamic crazy throw now and then, but you have to be able to do the check downs. You have to be able to make the five-yard dumps. You have to be able to just do the simple stuff without freaking out, and you have to be able to see it. And so maybe he was learning that from Aaron Rodgers. Certainly Nathaniel Hackett as an experienced offensive coordinator will be valuable because you're Remember, they had a, a, a newbie, essentially, offensive coordinator uh, the last couple years. So I, I'm hoping that they'd have the right pieces. But you point out the defense. It's tough. It's physical. It's in your face. It's full of veterans and ball hawks. And, boy, did they do their job last night, even after they lose Aaron. Yeah, it seemed like uh, the Buffalo Bills had the opportunity to take that momentum and run with it, and they did uh, nothing of that sort. I just want to ask you if you think <laughs> no. anybody anybody sent Tom Brady Brady a message last night from the Jets organization <laughs> just said, hey, buddy, you know, you looked good out there uh, at the Patriots. You know, you looked good. Yeah. Like, you interested? Like, I mean, if there's a storyline the NFL script writers would love, it would be Tom Brady making a return. Yeah, you know, it's really funny. It's even before this happened. I don't know if you guys listen to his podcast that's on SiriusXM, but it's, it's also uh, available online, his Let's Go podcast, and he's restarted it. And he was last night talking about his big moment there at Gillette on Sunday where he ran out on the field and then was honored at halftime. And he said something along the lines of, I'm not in playing shape anymore. I'm not interested in playing anymore. I'm content and happy with my life. Now, here's the other complication. Whether or not that's true, he's also part owner of the Raiders. And I don't know how that works. Right? Like, I don't know if he could actually come back and play. I'm not sure what the NFL bylaws are on that. Because most, most, most part owners are not 
candidates to play. But it does sound like he's not even remotely interested, though, yeah, who knows if that's enticing. Also to consider, though, and you guys know the AFC East, wouldn't that be a stake in the heart of the Patriots? And if not the Patriots, then Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft. I mean, I know Brett Favre did it when he played for the Vikings, and even going back, like, some baseball, like Pedro Martinez or, oh, Johnny Damon going from Red Sox to Yankees. So you do have guys who do it. I don't know, though. That seems like a stretch for him to play for the Jets. It'd be yeah. great theater. It would be fantastic for, for all of us. Uh, but uh, we had the, the great theater. You guys, we had it. It was Aaron Rodgers on Broadway. We had the it's great brutal. theater. Yeah. I, I still can't get over it. No, it's, 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 it's tough. And then and then Ailish walks in here, and it's like, okay, so you have the, the Rodgers injury, and we're all kind of just a little bit down on that. And then I mentioned she's a, a Buffalo Bills fan, and now you have to evaluate what you saw from Josh Allen last night right. and nice. that was not good and the thing that we discussed in the opening block of the show that I, I think causes or certainly cause for concern for Allen is that he's not learning from his mistakes so he's not growing as a quarterback in the sense that he's starting to limit the turnovers and, and make better decisions and if there's anything that I take away from the Bills last night it's that if Josh Allen is going to continue to be as risky and as gunslingery as he has in the past, then they might actually have some problems in this division. Gunslingery. I like that. That might yeah. be new. It's yeah. like strategery. Yeah. It's a good Web, word. Uh, yeah, I do that all the time. So, <laughs> <laughs> so here's what I, I just am trying to keep big picture in mind. I agree with you. Josh Allen looked like a, a quarterback on his rookie deal. That, that's just dumb. And there's no excuse for it. You don't get to say like, oh, I was under duress, blah, blah, blah. No, get rid of the football if you don't want to get hit. And he did get hit a lot. But but get rid of the football. You know what to do. You're a veteran QB. You're theoretically one of the best in the NFL. But I think about what happened this weekend, even going back to Thursday with the Chiefs. Uh, it, there were a lot of sacks. There were a lot of holes on the offensive lines. You know, sometimes that cohesion, it's not there if they don't all play during during preseason. I mean, there's no shortcut to that on the O-line. They have to play together. And then also, ton of turnovers. Turnovers everywhere you look. So it was it was sketchy football this weekend for all except for the Niners, maybe. Um, oh, and the Cowboys, obviously. They looked great. Uh, both teams on defense. But no team really looked fantastic on offense except for maybe the Dolphins with their, I mean, their Tua killed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so welcome back to Tua. But yeah, I mean, I think give it another week. Let's give it another week. But you're right. This is a wake-up call. And I'm sure you heard him after the game. It's one of those, like, smack yourself upside of the head. What are you doing? Not only are you on a veteran team that doesn't need a quarterback to chuck and duck, you don't need a quarterback who's going to make all the plays himself. You've got incredible weapons around you. But number two, like, all you're doing is hurting your team. And if you really do believe that you're a Super Bowl contender, that's unacceptable. So yeah, he I still say he is smarter than this, but I agree with you. It's an alarming trend. And if he doesn't knock it off, it's going to get to the point where, yeah, they're, they're going to shoot themselves in the foot because the AFC is so good. It's so good, although minus one Jets contender, Ooh. I think. Okay, so AFC, yeah. uh, Tua, you mentioned it. Like I, I think mm-hmm. expectations were tempered a little bit because of the 
injury concerns, but the way he came out, I honestly don't think it's too much to say that they could be Super Bowl contenders. He could be an MVP. He's tied for MVP odds this morning after That's one insane. appearance. He goes three. It's week one. I know. I mean, it's week one. <laughs> but he looks pretty damn good. Like, if he can stay healthy and this team can run that offense, I, I think maybe we need to have a better look at, at how this AFC might shake out. Well, the cool thing about him is that he, and I, I think this is so significant, he doesn't appear to be lacking confidence, mm-hmm. to be hesitant, to be nervous, to be anxious. And that was my biggest concern for him. Not that you would necessarily see it in his mannerisms, but maybe in how he played. He wasn't going to speak it, but if you're afraid to get hit, you can't play in the NFL, right? I mean, Tom Brady made a killing not getting hit. That's how he played for so long. I wish Aaron Rodgers would have not gotten hit last night, but... Mm-hmm. I mean, Tua looks solid. He looks uh, he looks grounded. He looks like this time has done him good. It, he's obviously trying to figure out how to absorb hits and then take fewer hits, and that'll be critical to his longevity. But I don't think you saw any hesitation at all in his play. And then there's the combo with Tyreek Hill. I mean, Tyreek is such a conundrum for opposing defenses, and it's not just because he's fast. It's because you can't double-team him. One guy can't stay with him. How are two guys going to stay with him? And and then you're all you're doing is just taking another defender away from someone else and leaving him wide open. So yeah, they've got some awesome weapons too. I like the way they started. Uh, let's see how they do against you know a tougher defense like the Jets. Maybe um, I don't think the numbers will be as gaudy, but certainly yeah, he it, it's just great to see him back. And I don't know you guys if if Tyree Kill stays healthy, he'll be his favorite target. Maybe two thousand yards is in reach, mm-hmm. and you know we've never. We've never had a wide receiver win MVP, so I don't know. Maybe this could be the year. Yeah, that's something like 40 to 1 for Tyreek Hill to win uh, NFL MVP. <laughs> Maybe it's something worth looking at. Uh, over on the NFC side, Amy, um, I think the Eagles looked a, a little bit weird. Obviously, uh, not nearly as automatic weird. on offense. Like it. it was just kind of a strange <laughs> game. Like maybe still getting used to the new play calling. Uh, only one pass for more than 15 yards in the day. Very uncharacteristic of the Eagles. Four of 13 on third down. I categorize that as a weird game, but if you're looking at uh, favorites in the NFC, like the 49ers were the opposite of that. Like Brock Purdy coming back from elbow surgery, four straight scoring drives, wonderful chemistry with Brandon Ayuk, and Christian McCaffrey did his thing. Like they are very, very good. Are they not? Mm. They are, and think about it. Nothing really changed. Now we weren't we weren't certain that Br- that Brock Purdy would be ready to go, but really all they did was have to insert the quarterback into that equation again because everything else was already set, and he is so comfortable not ha- not having to do everything himself. He's just got this innate gift to rely on the people around him, and not every quarterback will do that. And so I've just I've seen that comfortability is so impressive to me. Um, and again, they really didn't change much. They they have swagger, of course, because they went to back-to-back NFC championships, and even last year using four quarterbacks, right? They were still there. So yes, definitely the team to beat once they had Nick Bosa back. That was huge. Um, I do think the Cowboys' defense is also dynamic and will be a force. And even as you talk about changing coordinators, right, so there's Dak Prescott who has to figure out, 
you know, the rhythm and the groove with Mike McCarthy who's calling plays. And I think that should be the same with the Eagles. Now, I, they started out like a house on fire, but only because of the, you know, the turnovers by the Patriots. And then they had this string of three and outs. But honestly, didn't we see that with so many teams? It was like one step forward, two steps back. It really is about more than anything, I think, the fact that they don't log a lot of time in preseason. And there's just no shortcut to getting back into that rhythm. So this first month of the season is really about finding consistency, and the first teams to do it are the ones that can kind of separate themselves. Chatting with Amy Lawrence uh, of After Hours CBS Sports Radio. Uh, Got to shift to some basketball. I don't know if you saw Canada won uh, bronze over oh, your, yeah. your Americans at the FIBA World Cup, but I, I did think it was interesting that in the response to that, LeBron James says he wants to go and bring his Avengers squad to the Paris Olympics. I think it's fully in response to our Canadian boys, specifically Dylan Brooks, uh, putting <laughs> putting the Americans through the ringer. Do you think that they would actually go through with it and have these American you know, superstars head to the Paris Olympics? And is it our fault for encouraging that? <laughs> well, I think you should take pride in that as Canadians. That's a big deal. I mean, it really is. And I love that there's a rivalry there. I like it when we, you know, we got it in women's soccer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a couple years ago. Uh, we, you know, we've obviously seen it in hockey a, a lot with, where the United States is usually behind, you know, behind Canada. And I like it in this realm of basketball, too. And honestly, I think it would be cool to see the best of the best on the Olympic stage. And most of these guys are not jaded to the point where they don't think playing for USA basketball is a big deal. Mm -hmm. And if you think about who the coach is, it's Steve Kerr, right? So there's a possibility you could rope in some of the Warriors. Uh, But I think to have LeBron go out is kind of a swan song and maybe his last time would be a really fun storyline. But yes, absolutely. The fact that the U.S. didn't even medal is enough, I think, to embarrass the best American players in, in the country. <laughs> we might be regretting uh, them not getting that medal if they come to the Paris Olympics and have uh, every superstar on the books. Uh, but you know what? We'll we'll hang our medal up and we'll see you <laughs> next year at Paris Olympics. Uh, Amy, thanks for coming That's on right. this morning. Make it shiny. Make it shiny. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll shine it up and we'll look at it for the next <laughs> year. Uh, thanks for coming on this morning. Thanks, I know you Amy. got the craziest hours, but you uh, continue to grind and make sure you uh, enjoy, get a little nap in today and enjoy some football moving forward. Oh, absolutely. Week one in the books. We survived, so now we advance. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you guys so much for having me. Good to talk to you. You as well. That's Amy Lawrence, host of After Hours on CBS Sports Radio. That is usually if you're driving in, you're waking up, or you're up before we are. She's on from 2 to 6 a.m. We simulcast that. She is incredible, a legend. So much fun. We have a lot of people that love listening to Amy Lawrence, so it's great to get her on our show. We had her a couple weeks ago, and uh, very much a blast. For sure. Uh, Do you want to divulge the... The break, the bet we just oh, made we, during the break. Yeah, I, this happens to me sometimes where I say things off the air that I'm held accountable for, uh, and one of them was about jujitsu. So obviously we know that Tua has been doing some jujitsu in the off season, and he's looking good. I mean, he's MVP co-favorite uh-huh. at this point. What was it? Plus seven hundred. Him and Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, that's uh, right. Pretty outstanding. Uh, I mean, it's week one, as Amy Lawrence put it. But sometimes you just you have fun with it. So I said to Jesse, if the Dolphins start the season five and zero. Oh, which, you know, is doable, but a challenge. We'll do some jujitsu lessons together. <laughs> I put you in there. I actually said I would, but I'm going to include you in this. Would you do that? Yeah, that's fine. I would love to take jujitsu. I think we'd probably. But I do need incentive to like 
get off my butt and actually go do okay, it. Okay, so, so they play the Patriots next week. Then they've got the Broncos, the Bills, and the Giants. So, I mean, if the Bills figure I mean, it out it really, by then, that's really the tough game. It really wraps up with the Bills. <laughs> One, two, three, four. That's the tough. The Broncos might surprise because their defense is pretty good, and Sean Payton's a good coach, and they probably make some adjustments. But it's not out of the realm of possibility that we will be taking some jiu-jitsu lessons. I'd kind of be into it, though. I would like to learn how to fall properly like Tua. Well, I took one time, you know when you have, like, class pass where you can try a bunch of studios yeah. and work Is that still a thing? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I had it, like, I think three the summer before the pandemic. Yeah. And I was trying out a different bunch of different, like, workout op- options, and there was a kickboxing studio right on my street. And I honestly could not walk for a week. It was the hardest workout I've ever done. I didn't even know I had these muscles or lack of muscles, really. I was sore everywhere. It was it was painful. That was the hardest workout I've ever done. The warm-up was about 15 minutes long. I'm like, is this the workout? It was. Pu- they were putting you through the ringer to get you warmed up for this workout. Honestly, it... I, I, I've never worked really harder. Hard, I've never worked harder. Workout classes are tough. This one, I don't know if I was in the advanced class, but I was getting... In- embarrassed out there and I never went back. That's so funny. I had the exact no, same experience. No, it's not funny. It was it sad. It is funny. I went like, I guess, hard. spinning once. Oh, I'm like, I like spinning. I did get a Peloton during the, during the yeah, pandemic. <laughs> What's your username? We should, Who we should, didn't? We should, well, off the air, we'll do a little competition. Yeah, I'm not, I don't, it's more of a, a close hanger at this point uh, of oh, its career. Mine does um, that sometimes. But I did, I did go spinning like once a number of years ago mm-hmm. and it was so hard. Like, I can't even describe how hard it was. Is it, it the was. balance part when you're out of the seat and you're like position no, three? No, it was the exhaustion part. Yeah, it was hard. It was impossible. And granted, I'm like I'm not in the greatest shape, but nonetheless, like I, <laughs> I was sweating buckets and just embarrassed by my performance. And that was it. That was the last time I ever went. Okay, Sorry. well, uh, we might be hitting jujitsu classes up. Maybe we have <laughs> a trainer like listening be, that can help us out. Maybe it'll be easier on the cardios. <sighs> I don't know. It looks awful. Um, <laughs> all right, well... We'll get updates hopefully on Aaron Rodgers sometime in the early hours of the day to share with you, but not looking promising. Um, But let's shift over to Michael Bartlett, Canada basketball CEO, who's going to join us after the break. We teased it with Amy Lawrence. Canada's got a bronze medal from the FIBA uh, World Cup, but Paris looms in the distance. Uh, Michael Bartlett will join us. He just arrived late back from Manila. He was there when Canada did something they've never done before, best ever finish at the World Cup. We'll chat with him, and then we'll wrap up our show with Caitlin McGrath, about those Blue Jays. That's all next on the Fan Morning Show with Jesse and Eilish.